Well, welcome to the Jesus Culture Podcast. Great to have you with us as always. And I, I have to say this, wherever you're listening from around the world, which I'm pretty confident, Zach, that they're around the world. All over the world. All over the world. It is great to have you with us. Uh, a couple exciting things today. Uh, one is uh, Zach Curry is uh, back as a host on the podcast with us. It's Zach, great, great, it's to, great to be here. Zach, you've got a new shine about you because, one, you live by a beach city, which we're going to talk okay. about in just a minute. I do. And uh, you are now got a whole, whole other level of authority in your life as a lead pastor. <laughs> I can tell you walk with a little bit of a swagger. <laughs> a little you swagger. Got, you, got a, you got a better tan. You're starting to just kind of point at people and tell them what to do. You got a lead pastor thing on you. I and I'd tell. like to attribute... The Leadership Podcast, the Jesus Culture Podcast, it's to so totally, many things. Absolutely. It's the birthplace you of all great leaders. You too can have that swagger. It's the, it's the birthplace <laughs> of all great leaders, the Jesus Culture Podcast. You heard it here. <laughs> I'm also excited today uh, because anytime you're able to sit down and talk to a leader whose mission is, and I quote, pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. Dang. So if you're a leader whose mission is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness, you obviously are not lacking in vision. You're not <laughs> lacking in big thinking. You're not lacking. So today we get to sit down with somebody whose mission is, is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness, and we're excited about that. And uh, we're going to jump in. Before we do, want to remind you again that we are partnering with World Vision they have a program called Chosen. And listen, every podcast, Man Camp, Jesus Culture Podcast, Authentic You, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Pastors Podcast, all of them, we're talking about World Vision and the Chosen program because we believe so deeply in it. And we're just excited to be able to partner with them. Uh, Zach and I both, we, we've been through the process. We're literally a, it's a kid in another country. What World Vision is doing on the front lines to take care of children and families uh, in situations that are uh, impoverished and undernourished and just lack of opportunity for them coming to those communities and to see a kid come and choose our family was really powerful. So, guys, World Vision, we're going to be, uh, before we get into the interview, you'll hear another snippet about that. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Zach, you live in, uh, well, you don't live in San Diego. We live in San Diego. Sunny San Diego. And, um, you've never lived on the beach. Am I correct with that? Correct, yeah. Uh, so you lived in Chico, which couldn't have been further from the beach. You lived in Redding, and you, which couldn't have been further from the beach. You lived in Sacramento, so all kind of. Yeah. Let me ask this real quick, because you're a Northern California kid. Yeah, always will be. Oh, born and raised. It's in my blood. NorCal. In my blood. NorCal. Yeah. And, uh, but now you live in Southern California. What's the main... Okay, and this is my view of... This, this, if you live in Southern California, if you're from around the world or America, some of this may get lost, but Southern California is L.A., it's Disneyland, it's yeah. the Lakers, it's the Dodgers, it's, the, it's Hollywood, it's yeah. the movie stars. That's how the world sees L.A. Mm-hmm. And L.A., because of all of that, is a little snobby. Like Southern California, this is how we encounter in Northern California, <laughs> that Southern California doesn't even know Northern California. We have this type of, we have this kind of like, uh, uh, what is it? It's <laughs> inferiority a, complex. Infi- thank you. Sorry, inferiority complex. Because I think Southern California goes, I, I literally talked to somebody one time. They're like, I just thought it was like mountains and like streams. Like a farm town or I something. I thought it was mountains and streams. I didn't know people lived up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's been your experience being a NorCal kid now being in SoCal. It's like going to the big city, man, you know? Like, <laughs> Are people as snobby as we thought in regards no, to a NorCal? They're super great. They're really nice. They're amazing. I, I've had to 
up my game in several areas, like, you know, getting my surf, like I didn't really surf like on vacation once in a while, like, you you know, surfing, there's like a different vibe and culture. So, you know, you want to fit in, but it's, it's expanding my love of California. Well, this is interesting because, you know, we, uh, I, you always wonder, like, if I lived near the beach, would I actually go to the beach? So there's, you go to the beach for vacation and you yeah, kind of yeah, do it. Yeah. But if I actually live there, it's like Las Vegas. If you know people from Las Vegas. Do you gamble every day? Well, <laughs> I'm like, you go to the strip? And they're like, I go to the strip in Las Vegas uh, once a year when somebody comes in and says, can we go look at it? You yeah, know, they're yeah. like, they don't live there. Do you, do you go to the beach as much as you thought you would? I do, actually. I mean, obviously in certain seasons... Things get busy with school and, you know, work, church, all that stuff. But I do go a lot. It's, it's kind of a new rhythm where it, we, we call it just getting wet, get in the water, go surfing. I'm not that good. I've got a <laughs> oh lot of gosh. heart, but so I just, Cal, I just, just love getting it. getting wet. Got to get Listen, wet. Listen, you're losing your NorCal. You, you've lost your NorCal <laughs> But I, anytime someone asks me, they're like, hey, where are you from? Just proudly Chico, California. Chico, California. Northern California. Ever heard of it? All the yeah. way. Uh, tell me, uh, what's your favorite part of being a lead pastor now? I feel like I learned a lot of things along the way, and now getting to take what I learned and kind of be challenged and grow in a whole other area. The, the best part is still the same as yeah. it was in any role. It's the people, the people seeing what God does. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like this is a leadership podcast. It's fun seeing stuff that... You know, we we did this in Sacramento for seven years, yeah. and now like, oh, okay, we I know what to do because we've done this and trial and error, and being in the trenches. It's a definitely another level of, of responsibility, but I don't know. It's just it's fun being able to grow in new areas and be challenged, and I don't know. It's been fun. That's awesome. You're doing a great job down there. I've been down there. We'll be going down there. I'm now going to be going, and uh, I actually did. I did. I was down there recently with you guys, and actually got in the water, got a surfboard out. Yeah, I haven't surfed since I was college, right? Call well, a little after college, where I almost died at Huntington Beach. So I was like 22 the last time, and uh, so went out there. So pretty, pretty fun. Come I'm on a, out, I'm, come back I, out. I'm a little bit older now, but so <laughs> well, really great to have you, Zach. Excited to jump into this interview. Stoked to be with here. you as all, and and uh, you actually have a for those listening right now. Zach actually has a podcast called Man Camp. It's for yep. men. And uh, they're doing a great day. It comes out in seasons. Yep. Really, really incredible guests and interviews. Yeah. Hey, listen, we got a great interview today. Again, I mean, if you if you say I, I'm trying to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness, I want to have a conversation with you. 100%. So we're going to jump in in just a moment. Before that, we want you to check out again World Vision, their chosen program. In the world's most fragile places, devastating aftershocks of the COVID-19 crisis are pushing families deeper into poverty putting kids at greater risk of hunger, malnutrition, violence, and neglect. Child sponsorship is you making a decision to provide $39 a month for a child in their community in extreme poverty to provide the most basic necessities of life. But most importantly, you provide hope. It is one of the most effective ways to help the world's most vulnerable children in their communities address the impacts of this pandemic and lift themselves out of poverty for good, especially now. The reality is thousands of children are waiting to be sponsored, but what you don't know is everything is about to change. For the first time, World Vision is inviting you to empower a child through sponsorship. Yet instead of you choosing them, they choose you, something no organization has ever done before. It doesn't matter who you are, 
or where in the world you live, every single one of us wants to be seen, to be loved, to be chosen. Put the power to choose in a child's hands and give someone a chance to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Text podcasts to 56170 and sponsor a child now. Well, we're excited today, as I guess I'm always excited. I, I'm probably never not excited to interview a guest. I need to stop saying I'm excited. People are stop stop believing me. But I genuinely am excited about the guests that jump on this show. Like, it's genuine. We only have people that I want to talk to. Come on. That's what happens when you're in charge and you're drunk with power on the podcast. You invite in only who you want to talk to. However, today, there's a handful of people that when I get around who they are, I find myself both inspired and a little depressed. It's one of those <laughs> things where like, I feel so inspired to change the world and then my personality is is like, and then I stop and go, what have I even done with my life? Have <laughs> I even done anything with my life at all? Because after hearing this story, it feels like I've done nothing at all with my life. It's just, so this is kind of, am I allowed, Zach? Is you that, can say that. It's kind of in that mode. So <laughs> we're excited today for a first timer as well on the Jesus Culture podcast. Excited to have Brett Hack with us. Brett, thanks so much for taking some time and jumping in and being a part of the podcast. It's an honor to be on with you guys. Um, that, was, that was way too much of how you just did that intro, but, uh, but it's great to be on with y'all. Well, you, you're, you're talking to a ton of people right now who really have a passion to change the world, make a difference. So we're excited to jump in and hear your story. And I'm serious, like this is no joke, like just kind of getting your story and diving into it a little bit more. I'm like, this is incredible. And I'm both inspired and a little discouraged. And uh, so let's, but more inspired, more inspired. And, uh, and the discouragement will push me forward. Uh, Brett, can you, uh, I want to talk about today, we've actually been talking about leadership recently on the podcast. And I want to talk a little bit, uh, everybody that's listening right now, we think you're a leader, you're a leader, and, uh, but, but you're a leader because you have influence, but I think you're a leader because you have ownership of that influence and are doing something about it. Brett, you're somebody who has done something about the influence that's on your life. Can you, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about vision, how do you actually walk that out? What do you do with a dream in your heart? All that type of stuff. Can you tell us your story first? You run an organization actually called New Story, but can you tell us your story and just to kind of bring everybody up to speed on who you are and what you're doing? Yep. So I, um, I was very lucky. Um, the older I get, the more I realize how fortunate I am uh, to be born into uh, an amazing household with two loving, incredible parents. Um, just so lucky. Uh, I mean, things weren't perfect, but man, they were pretty dang good. And uh, so I was very fortunate. One younger brother. Uh, we grew up mostly in uh, South Florida. Um, growing up, I was kind of in and out of church. Um, I'd say in hindsight, looking back, uh, maybe lukewarm at best from a faith perspective um, in middle school. Uh, definitely met Jesus in middle school, but um, didn't really take that much action on it. Uh, got to high school, fell in love with sports. Um, well, sports before that, but high school became, you know, sports is really my thing. Um, I loved football, basketball. Uh, and then while I was in high school... Okay, uh, hold on so a second. This, We're just going to pause real quick. I'm going to interrupt stories the whole time. I got questions. <laughs> sure. Which one did you love more? Which one were you better at? <laughs> uh, basketball and, and better at basketball. 
So. Go, all right, come on. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're speaking uh, Banning's language. All there. right, all right. We're friends. Yeah, Keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then also, I, uh, I, I also discovered um, some other things that uh, led me down a path um, of pursuing what I call the three G's. And that's, uh, it wasn't God and generosity and gratitude. It was uh, girls, gold, and glory. And I, you know, basically used a lot of um, the skills and the ambition that, that, that God gave me for some of um, some things that uh, at the end of the day really are meaningless. And throughout high school and college, um, that was really my pursuit. Uh, so starting an organization like I'm at now, um, you know, dedicating my life to Jesus, these were, these were things in high school and college that if you would have told somebody, uh, they would not it's not what they would expect. It wasn't the the path that I was on. I think I was um, very lucky to have values instilled in me as early as, um, you know, elementary school and middle school and even a few really good mentors in high school. Um, my parents, of, of course, um, I had, you know, a few folks while I was in high school, mainly my basketball coach that I really looked up to and I really um, listened to when it came to a, from a faith perspective and a character perspective. But then to be honest, there were a lot of other folks that, um, that were a little, not a little, that were, I'd say, very hypocritical that, um, that I didn't really respect as much. And their version of living for Jesus wasn't that attractive to me at the time. And so in my head, I thought, all right, I'm not going to totally write off Jesus and God. Like, I think it's kind of important in the grand scheme of things, but I'm just going to punt it until I'm like 50 or 60 and I'll figure it out then because, you know, living a selfless life surrendered to Jesus for my next 30 years when I'm ambitious. Such a 20-year-old statement. I'm going to punt it till I'm 50, which is really far away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, man, that that was kind of like, that's where I was at growing up. I never went on missions trips. I never thought I would be doing the kind of work that I'm doing today. I also didn't even think I'd be an entrepreneur. You know, I just, um, I was very competitive. I had a lot of ambition, but yeah, that was growing up. And then, uh, and then after college, I ended up, uh, starting a, a for-profit startup right out of college. Um, that ended up failing. And I'm sure we'll get into more of how new story started, but that was a little bit of my background and my upbringing. What are you doing now? Tell us the new story story. Sure. So now I am uh, almost uh, about six years in to um, a company uh, called New Story. And our mission is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. Um, we work uh, with families that are uh, living in poverty that do not have adequate housing. And we try to bring um, innovative solutions um, using what we call world-class business practices and technology to an underserved market. Um, these are families that are used to getting uh, low quality, um, pretty much no ingenuity, no creativity, no innovation, a very low standard for excellence. And uh, what we try to do is is come in and um, bring the same level, if not more, than some of the um, the, the best for-profit companies or startups that would do. So uh, we've been at it for, yeah, about six years. We've done now a little more than 4,000 um, houses, building uh, a little more than 30 different communities. Um, these are holistic communities. And uh, we've, um, yeah, we've been, we've been fortunate to do that uh, throughout El Salvador, Haiti, and Mexico. Uh, we recently just 
did the first 3D printed community of houses um, in history um, in Mexico with our partner Icon. And, uh, and yeah, we're, we're just really trying to scale an organization. So that's the short version. Was there, was there a moment where you, you shared your kind of trajectory that you wouldn't have anticipated what you just described? Was it a moment that, you, that changed everything for you that led to New Story or was it more of a process? Like what, wh- where did the vision come from or how did the shift happen from what you just described early on to now what you're doing? So how it happened was I, I started a for-profit startup right out of college. Um, I, was, I wanted to be entrepreneurial. Um, I was still pursuing what I, those, those three G's I mentioned, uh, girls, gold, and glory, right? Self-glory. And um, I wasn't rock bottom. I wasn't like depressed. I just fortunately um, kind of did the math and extracted that out and realized that if those are my top priorities, it's, it's leading to a, a pretty unfulfilling and meaningless life if those, if those are the top priorities. And I don't know where that came from, um, maybe, maybe from the Holy Spirit, but that's where I was leading. And, uh, and I didn't really know what it was going to be. I was just longing for a bigger purpose and a more meaningful life. And this was probably age 22, 23. And what God did was um, I was raising venture capital for my first startup. And, uh, and I came across a gentleman that I tr- tried to get on this calendar for almost six months that I really looked up to. Um, he was a CEO and also an investor. And from the outside looking in, I was like, this is my role model. Like, I want to be like this guy one day, like, this is it. He's the coolest. Like, this is, this is my guy. And, uh, and I like basically had to track him down, um, to get a meeting with him. And at the meeting, I'm trying to get him to become an investor, but also, you know, to be a mentor and build a relationship. And so I have all these questions written out and I'm asking about leadership and all these things. And, um, and he tells me about his leadership philosophy and he mentions, uh, this phrase called servant leadership. And I'm like, I think I've kind of heard of that. Like, like, cool. Like, what does that actually mean? And I'm like, where does that come from? And that was kind of a softball for him to talk about. <laughs> Little guy named Jesus. Somebody named Jesus. Maybe you've heard of him. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, I really believe um, Jesus was the greatest leader of all time. And this is where I've gotten all of my leadership principles from. And, you know, my marriage and my friends and all the things. And I'm like, whoa. And so what God did was he put... Um, he basically took all my objections and all the things that had been implanted in my head that were wrong, but what I believed to be true about Christianity, um, which was that it was uh, it was boring. You couldn't be adventurous. Um, you couldn't be ambitious. You couldn't be entrepreneurial. You couldn't really think about success. It was very rule-oriented. It was judgmental. Um, it wasn't fun. And that's what I thought. Um, which obviously is wrong. Um, and he put this guy in my life that was literally the opposite of that. And I had no clue he was a believer. And I looked up to him like crazy before I knew he was a believer. And it just it just rocked my world. And so um, I ended up, he said, hey, check out this church. It's an amazing church um, in Atlanta. Uh, it, was, it was North Point. And, um, and, and Andy Stanley was the communicator that really caught my attention. North and, Point. North Point's a little tiny church out in the yeah. Atlanta area. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you've heard of it. It's just a small little thing with a really not well-known pastor. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Well, and also, and, and if you're going to go learn leadership, Andy Stanley, I don't know if he's your guy. Yeah. Am I allowed to be sarcastic about this right now? That's amazing. <laughs> you landed there. Good, great church. Yeah, Keep going. yeah, Keep it was going. really perfect. It was perfect for me. And um, so, anyways, I make a total one hundred and eighty. I go all in, 
And um, the only one of all my friends doing this, uh, um, like people thought I jumped off the deep end, thought I was nuts. And, um, and yeah, that was like eight years ago. And uh, from there, I think what God did was he, um, you know, somewhat redirected uh, my ambitions to still, I think, be be quite ambitious, but to more be more selfless in those pursuits and to just kind of redirect um, what what success looked like as far as uh, how I could make an impact. And so, yeah, man, that's that's how I got started. But that's a that's a big that's a big jump from the three G's as you described to now you're going to end global homelessness. So obviously you're following Jesus, servant leadership was like it sounds like you're a driven leader, but there was a reprogramming of one success, but also what you were going after. So did it just, you just say all of a sudden I'm going to go to South America and in global homelessness or what, how did that become part of the new narrative? Yeah. I mean, it did a couple things. One, the, uh, you know, just a couple lessons for folks. Like, um, the first startup that I started, uh, ended up failing. Um, but that startup was the stepping stone that um, led me on, did two things. It led me on a trip to Haiti because we were starting to give back some of the money that we were making. Um, and so I got to see the problem firsthand of kids and families living um, without safe shelter. And that was imprinted on my heart when I saw it. Um, but the second thing it did was it introduced me to uh, an organization that we partnered with um, called Charity Water. And I got to meet uh, Scott and Vic Harrison, who have since become very close friends. They're on our board. They're it's amazing. It's so funny We're- you mentioned Scott, who's a really who's a r- really great friend. You're just hearing the story. I'm like, dude, this is Charity Water, man. This is like... Yeah. This is like charity water for homelessness. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like even your even your story of you encountering it there and just, I love yeah. it. Keep going. Yeah. And so that, two things. One, the failed startup, but actually just going out and trying something, right? Led, even though it failed, it led to those two things. And then the, from the charity water side, and I've talked about this publicly a couple of times, um, and like now, like we're su- Vic Harrison is the co-founder of Charity Water, their chief, was their chief creative director, is like, literally on our formal board of directors. She's excellent. Scott's been an advisor and a very close friend and mentor. So I say this now, but uh, I actually was going to go work for Cherry Water after my first startup failed. And long story short, they told me no at the very end. And when that happened, I was in my early 20s. Wow. I was, yeah, yeah. I mean, now we can kind of joke you about it and talk about, about it. But that. That's classic. I wouldn't have yeah. her on a board at all. Not even close, Scott. <laughs> you don't hire me, you're dead to me. That's amazing. Have you guys had that conversation? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just, but it's just so cool how God, like, like when that happened, when I got the no, um, and I, I 99% thought it was a yes, uh, I remember getting that email and I was just, I was so devastated, you know, because wow. I thought the first startup failed to lead me to this. I had to go learn and one day I'll start my own thing maybe. And when it happened, I remember like so vividly, I dropped down on my knees and I just cried out to God. I was like, this really, really sucks and really hurts. I have no clue why this is happening. Like, I can't imagine, you know, something else, um, but I'm going to trust that you have something else in mind. And, uh, you know, four months later, start a new story. Um, and so it's just a story of, you know, it's okay. Those two failures in a row, basically, that, you know, while there was, I think, the right posture of continuing going forth, um, trying to be obedient, trying to still um, 
try things, even though there was a chance of being vulnerable, a chance of failure. I mean, I was interviewing for a role that like I was way underqualified for, like in hindsight, you guys know these are hard decisions to make, right? So anyways, that those are some just some some failures that led to God opening the door to starting New Story. And, you know, New Story has fortunately gone off to a, a decent start, but that was the background. I think for me, because we, as we're talking about people that actually accomplish something, mm-hmm. people that actually get a vision, execute a vision, because we've talked about this, it's one thing to be excited about a vision. It's another yeah. thing to actually go execute that vision. Yeah. But what you're talking about, Brett, and what I love this conversation is, is you have to be able to figure out what to do with disappointment. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, nobody that changed the world, nobody that accomplished anything great for God didn't have to face disappointment. And I think sometimes when we face disappointment, whether it's a failed startup, whether it's Scott Harrison being heartless. Um, <laughs> you know Scott. I, I, I'm positive Scott's an avid listener right now. Uh, whether, it's, whether it's not getting a job, you thought facing disappointment really really does determine like, well, like, are you going to get up and keep going? Mm -hmm. Do you stop and feel sorry for yourself and have a pity party and decide that you're no longer going to trust God and decide Mm -hmm. that, or, or do you keep going? I was just talking to a friend now that's got a business and it's really thriving, but he had another business where guy kind of like screwed him over and this thing that he thought he was going to be doing into retirement didn't work out. Well, now he's in a way better spot and he looks back, this is only two years and goes, man, I'm so like so so learning to trust God in disappointments, not not allowing disappointments to derail you. It's huge, and I think even Brett, maybe you can address this. There's disappointments, and there's also just hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Like like to really get where you're going, you got to face disappointments, and then you just gotta. And I think somewhat really calling this generation to say, listen, you have to be able to face disappointments and walk through hard stuff mm-hmm. if you're going to actually get where you're going. What would your advice be to people about yeah. that? Yeah. I would, I would say too, I think one of the greatest things you can do is have a, and as I think as Christians, we should obviously, I mean, it's hard, but we should all have this is have, have a long-term perspective and a bigger picture perspective, um, you know, going obviously as far as an eternal perspective. Uh, and I think for me, having a bigger picture perspective, uh, it helps me understand that if something doesn't work out or there's hardships, that the best thing I can do is learn from that, right? It sounds so cliche, but it's like, how can I learn from that? And how can I trust that I can only connect the dots looking backwards and that God is actually doing things that I can't even imagine yet, but I will see later. And the more you can walk into that with um, with your hands open and with surrender of, I mean, of course you want something to, uh, you know, kind of go your way or work out in a way that is going to align with maybe your vision, but like being open that God knows. And the thing I can control is my obedience and my attitude. And if I can just do that, which I actually have total control over, um, and I can continue to go forth and, you know, take, I would say calculated risk. I think there's a big difference in just making dumb decisions, right. Versus like, being vulnerable and taking a calculated risk. So for example, now leading into starting new story, like when I started a new story, I didn't just like quit my job day one and like, you know, just said, I'm going to go out on the freaking limb. I'm going to trust God. And like, I'm going to, yeah. Right. It wasn't that it was, I started small on the side, 
you know, I said, how do we do this for our first house? And then for our first 10 houses on the side, and then we applied to a program in Silicon Valley called Y Combinator, which is regarded as the kind of the top for-profit startup accelerator in the world. We were one of the first nonprofits to get in. And once we got into that uh, and they funded us, then it made sense to take a calculated risk and, and start that. Right. Um, or to go all in. But but it's just like you have to you have to put yourself out there and you have to be vulnerable. Um, and I also I always tell, um, you know, whether it's entrepreneurs or people wanting to get into a new industry, I always say that do the more courageous thing, which usually means the thing that makes you more vulnerable. And even if it doesn't work out, um, you're actually going to have a better story to tell a few years from now. Right. Like you could go to somewhere else and apply for a job and tell them the story of I tried this. It was a lot harder than going the normal status quo path. Turns out it didn't work out the way that I envisioned. These are all the things I learned and this is how I got better. I would hire that person a hundred times over someone else that stuck to a very safe, traditional path. And so wow. that'll be my encouragement to people. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you started with, you know, one house and now you have over 30 different communities. You had no money. Uh, you've raised over $70 million. But it, the crazy thing is you're talking about failure and then obstacles were actually the key areas for growth and how Part of the you, actual journey. Yeah. And how you got there. So what are some of the other obstacles along the way? I, I think a lot of leaders, a lot of people that are listening are obviously want to whatever area they're in grow, uh, succeed. And, you know, that's something that you've in, in, a, in a short period of time seen some significant growth and um, impact. But the thing, the thing I love is the, the things I'm listening to is you're saying failure, obstacles, <laughs> you know, th those are the actual things that you're looking for in other leaders. But that was the, the template for you to, to end up where you're at now. Yeah, it's good. I think uh, there's two phrases I say uh, a good amount. Um, you know, one is to, uh, it's a dream big, but to start small. And I think whether it's, um, you know, starting your, your own organization or starting something even internally, right, or having the guts to make a career change or do something that's not popular, um, we're, it's so easy to get paralyzed by all the unknowns and the complexities, right? If When I, when I was starting New Story, if I said, um, hey, I, want, I need to figure out how to house a million people, that's way different than how do I figure out how to literally house the first family? You know, today yes. I'm literally thinking almost every week about literally how do we house a million people um, by a certain date, and that's phase one, but it didn't start that way, right? It started with how do we do it for, for one family, and that, that sounds very cliche, but um, I think it's very real. I'm, I'm sorry, what's not cliche about it for me, and it's interesting talking to people who are dreamers, there's some fantasy line that people jump into. I don't know how to describe it. They're like, I'm going to do a million homes. And you're like, uh, maybe, but like, and what you're, and what they're, what they're, what they're doing at some level is, is they're devaluing the one home. Mm. So they totally. think that somehow if I, if I have a vision of a million homes, that's impressive. That's significant. Rather than what you're describing, which I love is like, let's go do one home. Can we go do one home and actually have value for that one home? Can we actually have vision for that one home? Can we actually attach significance to that one home and not act like a, a million homes is significant, one home isn't? A million homes impressive, one. And so many of these guys that go somehow from like a, a, a dream 
to somewhere you just landed in fantasy land mm-hmm. <laughs> around this issue. And I, and I think sometimes we just don't put enough value and significance on that first step and just are all in. I'm going to build one. I'm all in on that yeah. one home type deal and let it go. So I love that. I, I cut and you then, off. And then you learn. Yeah, no, it's great. And then you, and the other phrase is, you know, learn by doing, right? So I think the, the, the sooner you can, uh, if you have a conviction about something and you need to obviously, you know, make sure that that is what you think you should be trying. Like once you have conviction or I call it clarity of thought on what that problem is, then I think the best thing you can do, um, there's different schools of thought here. What I think is I think you move fast and you learn by doing. And that's what we try to do, you know, with new initiatives that we're launching, um, you know, right now we're literally thinking nonstop about um, how do how do we kind of reinvent how you do um, mortgages and financing to some of the poorest families in the world, and how do you do that with, you know, fintech and reinvent this mortgage product? And it's it's very complex. It's very hard. But you know, we're trying to do it for the first pilot with you know you know a couple thousand families to start right. And it's like we don't know all the answers yet, but we're going to learn by doing. We're going to start, and then we're going to be able to make changes along the way because we're we're learning. Yeah, so good. Brett, where do they find out more about you, more about New Story, more about all that you're doing? Those that just want to learn more, those that want to jump in and participate and give and be a part, where do they find out all this stuff? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can go to uh, on social media. The handle is just New Story Charity, and then the uh, the URL is newstorycharity.org. Um, you can learn about what we're doing if you want to partner with us and give, but we're also hiring. So we are... We'll be um, we'll be hiring a lot of people over the next six to twelve months. Um, all different types of roles, uh, some remote, um, some in L.A., Atlanta, Mexico City, San Francisco, New York. Um, so that's another way that you can get involved. Uh, we pay well. We offer incredible benefits. Um, so there's that. And then uh, for myself, um, my handle uh, mainly on Twitter and Instagram is just my name at Brett Hagler. That's mm. awesome, man. Brett, sure appreciate you taking time to jump on, share some of your story. Yeah, I love thanks, it. guys. Love the heart behind it. Love the story of it. Love the vision of it. So looking forward to connecting again sometime. And listen, I absolutely, I absolutely am going to get on Scott when I see him. I actually, I'm, I'm going to see Scott <laughs> actually in about, I, I think, Next month, I'm going to see so Scott. So you really missed it, Scott. In Pennsylvania, I'm going to be like, Scott, come on, man. That's heartless. Why you got to do that now? So I, I got your back, Brad. I got your back. Well, uh, it's time to sign off officially. But yeah, I, I, I just I love talking to entrepreneurs who yeah. are putting their gifts towards building the kingdom. It's just really incredible. Honestly, I just I love to see entrepreneurs. And it's not just about a nonprofit. Entrepreneurs are building the kingdom through you know business as well. But yeah. it's, it's so great to see that. So, Zach, thanks for joining us. I got to tell you, I mean, Phil Manchinelli's not here. Becky Johnson's not here. Just, and I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the pinch hitter I'm, here. Well, I'm wondering if we maybe get rid of him now. Just back to <laughs> just me and you. Him. I just don't want to. Phil and I have the same uh, hair, hairstyle. Yes, you so do. So it will we work. We have that in so. common. Well, guys, listen, make sure you check out uh, World Vision. Get online. Check them out. The Chosen Program as well. Uh, listen, press all the like buttons. Press all the five-star buttons. Share press it. all the subscribe buttons. Press all the share buttons, whatever else there is. Do all of that as well as follow us on social media, Jesus Culture, and as well as JesusCulture.com. You can check it out. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us.